This is Matthew chapter 6. And we're reading verses 7 through 15. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. Well, good afternoon, church. Uh, I'm not Jamaican. I'm breaking the pattern here. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, what an amazing mystery that you would pour out your love for us, that you would give us access to yourself, that we can call you Father, the one who is great and mighty, the God of gods, the transcendent one is also our Father. So we ask, Father, that you would meet with us, that your name would be glorified, that Christ would be exalted, that your word would be known, and that we would love you more and that we would, as a result, depend upon you more. In Jesus' name, amen. A wise father was once sending his young daughter off to college. The father and mother were generous. They had spent years saving up money, little by little, to provide an educational fund for their little girl. Even though it wouldn't pay for everything, it would be a big help. The day finally came. Bags were packed, boxes loaded. The family drove everything over to the college, packed those boxes, unloaded those bags into the dorm room, which was small but clean and cozy. And after they said their goodbyes, they got into their car and drove off back home. It was a bittersweet moment. All the joys and difficulties of parenting were converging to this point in their lives. In many ways, Mom and dad were launching their daughter off, launching her off to make new friends on a new path for her to make her own decisions. And as the car drove off, the mom couldn't help but just wipe away a tear or two. She turned to dad and said, I wonder when we'll see her again or hear from her again. And then dad turned to mom and said, soon, I think. We didn't give her all of her college savings, just enough to get started. When the money runs low, she'll ask for the next installment. It's there. She knows it's there for her. She just needs to ask. This story wasn't based on any particular family or individual, but a story like this has been told over and over again as parents raise their children and then at some point in 
in time, launch them as arrows into adulthood, whether into marriage or college or trade school or apprenticeship. But this story illustrates something very important I want you to walk away with. The story illustrates how God's grace operates. God's grace comes to us as an installment plan, not in a lump sum. To paraphrase one pastor, quote, if God just gave us all his glorious gifts of grace in one lump sum, we would be in danger of enjoying the gift and forgetting the giver. So that would be the issue. If God gave us all the grace we ever needed for our Christian life, for every day we needed to walk with Jesus, we would enjoy the grace, enjoy the gift, but then forget the giver. But our wise Heavenly Father has chosen not to give all the grace we need in one lump sum. He loves us so much that he places us as his children in a position where we actually need him. He wants that relationship. He wa- as I covered last week, he wants uh, us, us to talk to him. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to climb into his lap and tell him about our day, to cast our burdens upon him because he cares for us. The relationship is that important to the Father. And the big idea I want to leave you with today is we pray because we are dependent upon a father who knows all the needs of his children. We pray because we are dependent upon a father who knows all the needs of his children. If you're new to us, we're in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Matthew. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The Gospel of Matthew is about King Jesus, a king who is building his kingdom, rescuing people out of the kingdom of darkness and bringing them into his new kingdom, a kingdom of light. And here in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, King Jesus is instructing his disciples on how to live as kingdom citizens, how to live differently from the rest of the world. We have a different loyalty. We've got a different set of priorities. Our life now revolves around King Jesus and his mission. And our king has died for us and secured the kingdom for us as people. And today is the second part of a two-part message on the Lord's Prayer, which is embedded right in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the king, King Jesus, teaching his people us, his disciples, how to pray. And last week, we talked about how because our Father already knows our needs, prayer isn't a, a battering ram, isn't a battering ram into God's treasury, but a security pass into kingdom headquarters. So as disciples of King Jesus, we're not conversational narcissists. We don't turn prayer into something where we just talk, 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 talk all about us and turn prayer into something about us. We don't turn prayer into a battering ram where we force God's hand and force him to meet our needs, our wants, our desires. Instead, prayer is a way by which we enter in to the Holy of Holies. We enter into the kingdom command central because the one who occupies the throne is God and our Father, our Heavenly Father, he, the Father who has loved us and given us His Son for us. What a joy it was to just to celebrate communion and to, and to just reflect on, on the, the great cost that the Father paid so that we could be His children, the price that the Lord Jesus Christ paid for us. So knowing all of that, knowing who God is, Jesus teaches us to pray according to the heart of the Father. And the heart of the Father is centered upon his own glory. It's it's about 
His name, His kingdom, and His will. So when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're really praying that, Father, God, may your name be glorified. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. May your name be glorified in us and in all people. God's glory is is the heartbeat of Kingdom Command Central. And in those first three requests of the Lord's Prayer, the focus is on worshiping our transcendent God, the God who is far beyond us, the God who is in heaven, our all-powerful and all-knowing Creator God and King. He is transcendent. He is in heaven. So when we come to Him in prayer, we enter reverently. This is God we're talking to. And yet this transcendent one is also our Father. He's intimate. We draw near, and so we can also enter confidently. This is one of many, many paradoxes in the Bible. Paradox, simply two things that you wouldn't expect to come together, to fit together, two things that seem opposite, and we see them here, that God is both transcendent, so we enter reverently and carefully, and God is also intimate. He is also our Father, so we can enter boldly and confidently. So today we're going to look at the the second half of the Lord's Prayer, the last three requests. There's six requests in the Lord's Prayer. We looked at the first three last week. We're looking at the last three this week. And the focus this week is on our needs as God's people. And prayer needs to include both. It needs to include worship, right, the first three requests. And it also needs to include our needs, the last three requests. And we worship because as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, We are not conversational narcissists. The world doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around God. That's why we worship. But prayer also needs to include our needs because He is our Father. He loves us. He wants to meet our needs. He knows our needs. He is our Father, and we are His children. And unlike any earthly father, He is great and mighty and awesome. From everlasting to everlasting, He is God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And it is this God, this almighty, transcendent God, who is also our Father, who knows all the needs of His children. And we as pastors, we realize that they're they're members of our church body. There's people here who don't have a father. Maybe your father abandoned you. Or if you do have a father, maybe your father was abusive to you. And the idea that there is this heavenly father who knows the needs of his children, this idea seems foreign to you. It seems almost too good to be true. But like any other human father, even the best ones out there, our heavenly father is without sin. He is perfect in love and holiness. So that means, church, if you are in Christ, if you belong to Jesus, that means your heavenly father loves and knows you perfectly. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for you. If you are in Christ, the steadfast love of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Father is from everlasting to everlasting. If you are in Christ, the Father knows your frame. He knows your weakness, and he loves you because he has proven that by, by sending his son for you. And like a father sending his daughter to college, the heavenly father in a, in a more infinite and more perfect way knows your needs and wants you to look to him to meet those needs. So let's continue in the Lord's Prayer. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. If you don't already have your Bibles open, just open that up. We're going to be 
looking at these verses here. Matthew 6, chapter 6, verse 11. Second half. Give us this day our daily bread. This word give here is not just a request, like, okay, please give us our daily bread. It's actually an urgent command. If you know something about first century Palestine, many people who lived during that time, they were day laborers. So that means when they worked for one day, they only earned enough money to put food on the table for one day. So it was a prayer of urgency, a prayer of dependence, a prayer of desperation. Give us this day our daily bread. And this word that's translated daily is only used twice in the New Testament, both in the Lord's Prayer, here and in Luke 11, which is the other place that the Lord's Prayer is found. So because it's so rare, this word that's translated daily, scholars aren't sure exactly what it means. Does it mean uh, food for today, this, this day, or does it mean food for the next day? very likely it means both. See, if you were a day laborer, you woke up in the morning, and if you were to pray this prayer in the morning, your, your request before the Lord would be that God would provide you the food for yourself and your family for this day, for this coming day. And if you were a day laborer and you prayed this prayer at night, then the prayer would be that the Lord in His mercy would provide food for you and your family the next day. It was a prayer of urgency. It's not a prayer for food for the whole week, for the whole month, for the whole year. It's a prayer of dependence. And that's been the prayer of God's people throughout the ages. Let's look at Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and profane the name of my God. So the prayer of God's people has always been, hey, give us this day our daily bread. What's needful for us? Protect us from the deceitfulness of riches. Protect us from the the snares of poverty. And we need to remember, because the Father knows our needs, prayer is simply that expression of our daily dependence upon Him. The Father doesn't give us all the grace we need, everything we need in, all, in, in one lump sum. He is delighted when we come to Him in dependence. He, he's delighted when we come to Him in prayer. And this whole idea of dependence, even in, 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 so we look at our daily bread, the need for food day by day, day, by day. Uh, the idea of depending on God for that, is, it's hard for us. Let's admit that. Uh, most of us here have jobs that pay regular income, right? Maybe you're paid once a month, maybe you're paid twice a month. Most of us here, compared to the rest of the people in the world, are very wealthy. Most of us here, uh, we worry about, about a lot of things, but whether you're going to go to bed hungry tonight is probably not one of them. So the lie of Satan in the world is that somehow we don't need to depend on the Father, for our daily bread, that somehow we're self-sufficient. Let's take a step back and see that if you're able to get up in the morning and have strength to go to work, well, God has given you a new day of life, a new day before you. If you have skills that an employer uses and pays you for, a job that you have, well, it's because God has given you those skills and a job. And if you have a paycheck that you receive through your job, it's because God has given you a job and the paycheck. What do we have that we did not receive? 
And we must be careful because our temptation is to be just like the Israelites, to think, well, it's my power and the might of my hand that have gotten me this daily bread, that have gotten me this wealth. In fact, we need, rather than we need to remember that it's the Lord our God who gives us the power to get wealth, the power to, to provide for ourselves and others. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he modeled this perfectly for us, for his disciples. You remember from Matthew chapter 4 that the Spirit led Jesus to, into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And after that, he was hungry, right? He was fasting for 40 days. So Jesus himself needed to depend upon his Father for his daily bread. And Jesus, of course, was faithful in depending upon his Father. Faithful where we and where Israel failed. You see, when Israel was tested in the wilderness, they complained. And when the Lord provided manna for their hunger, it wasn't good enough. They still complained. They didn't depend on God. They didn't turn to the Lord in prayer. They only complained and grumbled. And so this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, and our failure, our imperfect ways that we depend upon our Father, should simply turn our eyes to the Savior, the one who perfectly dependent upon our Father, who, who did it all for us. But this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, isn't just about food. There's a broader principle here at work. Remember, we pray because we depend upon uh, God. We depend upon a Father who knows all the needs of His children. And our Father knows we need more than food to live. We need good health. We need good weather. Imagine if we lived with only hurricanes all the time. That would be rough. He knows we need shelter, family, good government. In fact, we're urged from Scripture to pray for our leaders, pray for our politicians, those who are in authority over us, because a good government, peace and stability, a stable society, they're they're needed for uh, the, the spread of the gospel. It's hard to share the gospel. It's hard to come to church, hard to have fellowship if there's anarchy and lawlessness, if you're afraid that you're going to be arrested simply because you're a Christian. Effective government isn't something nice to have. It's actually a necessity as well. That's why in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, Paul exhorts Timothy and exhorts the church, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So church, here's here's where we have to ask some tough questions, and these are questions I ask about myself. Knowing this, do you pray? Do we pray? Do I pray? Our culture values individualism and independence. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And we, can, we, even in this church, can apply that in ways that are unbiblical. Like we can profess, yeah, we, we depend on the Father. He is our Father. We depend on Him. But then we can live as practical atheists. Show me your prayer life, and you'll show me what you really believe about our Father, whether you really depend upon Him. And again, I'll be the first to admit that my prayer life is weak. I don't pray as I ought. And it's hard for me to pray because I am 
so often very proud, self-sufficient, and I can find myself, as a result, too tired, too busy, because I'm relying on myself, and I'm not relying on God. And that's the point uh, Pastor Paul Miller makes. He says, if you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all that you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy. Time in prayer makes you even more dependent on God. Every minute spent in prayer is one less minute where you can be doing something productive. So the act of praying means that you have to rely more on God. So church, do we really believe that we are dependent upon God? We are dependent upon Him for life and health and breath, and that in Him we live and move and have our being. That our Father, our God, has created all things, He sustains all things, and He upholds all things by the word of His power, so we are absolutely dependent upon Him. And if we really believe that we are dependent upon our Father, if we do believe that, then that we will pray. We will pray like our life depended on it. But if we don't pray, then what we're saying is that time and money and talent are all that we need to get by in life. And we'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy. Because why pray when you can be doing something much more productive? So that's the challenge for us, church. Are we dependent? And if we are dependent upon a father who, is, who, meets, who knows the needs of his children, then we will pray. Some of us, though, when, when, we, when we're talking about prayer, we feel like, well, we don't want to trouble God with some of our prayer requests. Uh, There's some prayer requests that are just too small, too trivial. We don't want to clog up the prayer highway. We want to let, you know, the bigger, more important prayers get on the on-ramp. Or maybe you, you take the opposite approach. You feel like, I could never pray for that, whatever that is. Maybe that is just too big. You could never see how that could change. But before the Lord, there's no request that's too big or too small. Give us this day our daily bread. So the Father who knows our needs, he calls upon us to pray for our family, to pray for our church, to pray for our nation. That means we pray for things like our health, our work, or even something silly like trying to find a parking spot in the city. Recently, I found myself praying that God would help me find Lego pieces. It can be frustrating when you're trying to find a particular Lego piece that's really small and oddly shaped, and it's buried somewhere, and you have no idea where it is. A couple months ago, we had a church meeting at our house, and it was supposed to last two hours, but the pastors talked still longer, well past 10 p.m. Thankfully, though, no one was overcome by sleep and fell out of a third-story window. But after finishing this long meeting, uh, many people lingered for food and for fellowship. And, you know, as things were wrapping up, uh, Dave Heidegren, who serves as one of our deacons, uh, was grabbing several of his folding chairs to, to load them back into his car, folding chairs he had brought for the meeting. And as he was loading these folding chairs into his car, uh, the keys that he was holding in his hand flew out of his hand and into uh, a, a sea of plants. There's, there's these plants that are in our front lawn. And the, the keys were suddenly buried somewhere. And it would have been hard enough to find these keys in the daytime, but it was 10.30 at night and pitch dark. 
So Pastor Leo and I and Dave, we started to look for Dave's keys. You know, we had a flashlight, we pulled out our phones, turned on the, turned on the light, and we just started looking. You know, we, we brushed aside the, the leaves and tried to dig around the roots. We, we tried to scan, like, all throughout the bed of plants. And after, after spending about 10 minutes, one of us suggested that we pray. And it wasn't the pastor's. <laughs> Dave wisely just wanted to stop and, and pray, take a minute and to ask the Lord to help us find his keys. And so that's what we did. We just took a minute, we just prayed. And then after we prayed, we started looking again, and to no one's surprise, we found the keys in like 30 seconds or a minute. I mean, we, it was almost instantaneous. We found those keys. The Lord answered prayer. So there's nothing too small to pray for. And, that, and I love that story because it just, again, shows us that we are dependent upon the Lord, whether big things or small things, right? In Him, we live and move and have our being. But maybe it's big things that are weighing on your heart. Maybe it's desires that you have that maybe you're a bit uh, embarrassed to share with others or even with the Lord. Maybe it's a desire for a promotion or, or desire for a vacation home. Well, we shouldn't be embarrassed to bring even these desires before the throne of grace. The key, though, as we remember, is that we need to pray with a posture of dependence upon our Father. We need to remember the first three requests, right? The first three requests that come at the beginning, you know, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Once we pray that with a posture of worship and surrender, then we can bring our needs, our wants, our desires. But it's not just physical needs, our daily bread. Uh, God cares also, of course, about our spiritual needs because God cares about the whole person. That moves us to the next verse in verse 12. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This word debts refers to the guilt of our sin. And all of us, young and old, rich or poor, no matter what ethnicity or race, we've, we've broken God's laws. And when, when the law is broken, a fine or a punishment has to be paid. And until that debt is paid, until that is paid, we are in debt. And as human beings, as we have lived this life on earth, we have, over time, accumulated a mountain of debt before a holy God. We are sinners by nature. We have inherited a sinful nature from Adam and Eve, our first parents. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, we fell into sin. But not just that, we are also sinners by action. All have sinned and fall short. We have fallen short of God's perfect and holy standard. That means we have failed by doing what is wrong. But we have also failed by not doing what is right. That's why we see the prayer here. Our greatest need, our spiritual need, this prayer, forgive us our debts. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to read between the lines and to see that the assumption that Jesus has when he teaches his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts, is that we have a debt that we cannot repay. We have a debt we cannot repay. Because uh, if, if we could pay the debt on our own, why would we need to be forgiven this debt? If we are basically good, as the world tells us, why would we need to be forgiven? If we could get to heaven on our own, why would we need a Savior? And the reality is that we have all of us have a sin problem, and only God is big enough to fix it. All other religions out there are about what you must do, what you must be to be right with God. But Christianity is not, is, is not about what you do, but what God has done 
for you. And that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ was sent by the Father to live a perfect life, keeping all of God's laws all the time. And then he died upon the cross to suffer under the wrath, under the judgment of Almighty God, died in our place. After three days he rose, and then he ascended to the Father, where we're waiting for him to come back. And if you trust in him, if you trust what he has done, then you will be saved. God promises to wipe out your record of debt that stands against you. All of your sin can be wiped out simply by coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I believe there might be some of us here who have yet to take that step of surrendering, trusting the Lord Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Maybe you've prayed the Lord's Prayer a million times, but from the deepest parts of your heart, you have not yet come to Him in complete surrender and dependence and said, forgive me my debts. Forgive me my debts. And if you have not yet come to faith in Christ, you can, you can come to faith even today, even this moment, even this hour. You can receive him as Savior and Lord today. And if you have not yet professed faith in Jesus Christ, if you have not yet surrendered to him, if he hasn't taken away the mountain of debt off your shoulders, the mountain of your sin, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. Talk to one of us afterwards. We'd love to point you to our great Savior who has taken away our many debts. So the Father, seeing our helpless estate, knowing our spiritual need, sent us His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are in Christ, forgiveness, going to, going to the Father for forgiveness is not a, is not a one and done deal. The Christian life is a, a lifelong journey of continual repentance and faith. A lifelong journey of turning from our sin as the Holy Spirit convicts us and turning in faith to Jesus Christ to follow him more faithfully. We as disciples, we never, we never live a day when we don't need God's grace because we need him. We need him day by day because we sin day by day. We might not even be aware of it. And most of the time, we're not aware of it. But we sin and we need forgiveness. The Apostle John reminds us that we as believers need to regularly confess our sins, own up to them, to God and to one another. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Christian, remember, we depend upon the Father, not just for our one-time forgiveness of all our sins in our justification, but we are dependent upon the Father because we sin day by day. We need His grace. That brings us straight to the second half of this prayer. Forgive us our debts. And in the second half, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I want to be clear here, we don't earn the forgiveness of our debts because we forgive the debts of other people. Remember, we have a debt we can't pay. So what does Jesus mean here? Well, our willingness to forgive debts is not the basis of our forgiveness, but the evidence, right? So, so when we forgive debtors, when we forgive those who sin against us, it's really just a reflex action. You remember going to the doctor's office, right? Put, tells you to sit on the bench, 
grabs out a, the, that hammer with the rubber mallet and then taps your knee. Right? He taps your knee, and when he taps your knee, you know, your leg swings up. Right? It's a reflex action. It's where we get the term knee-jerk response, right? when people quickly react in a negative way. The technical medical term is monosynaptic response. And, and the reason they call it that, the reason doctors do that, is that there's a direct nerve connection between your knee and your leg that bypasses the brain. So if they want to see if your is, is your uh, insides, is your nervous system working correctly, uh, are things wired correctly, that's why they tap your knee. They want to see if that connection between the knee and the leg is working. If your leg doesn't swing up, that means something is wrong. And so in the same way, if we as Christians are unwilling to forgive other people when they sin against us, there's something wrong with our faith. Someone who has, all, who has had all their sins against God forgiven, we can't help but forgive other people. When that knee is tapped, the leg has to swing up. And if you've experienced the goodness and loving kindness of God in the gospel, then you can't help but love your enemies because God loves his enemies. You can't help but forgive other people when they sin against you because you've been forgiven all of your debts against a holy God. In fact, our willingness to forgive other people when they sin against us, they hurt us, they transgress against us, is a, is a litmus test. It's an indicator of whether we truly are depending upon the Father for our greatest need, our spiritual need, our need to be forgiven. This is so critical, in fact, that Christ mentions it again after the Lord's Prayer is concluded. Let's jump to the end in verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We see that the forgiveness that we receive from the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that we should be eager to give to other people, those two forgivenesses are connected. If we refuse to forgive others, it's evidence that we were never really forgiven. As one pastor put it, the absence of one proves the absence of the other. The absence of one proves the absence of the other. And that's the point of the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. In that parable, I'll just briefly summarize it. We have servants of the king, right? One servant owes the king 10,000 talents. That's the equivalent of tens of billions of dollars. That's Bill Gates kind of money, Warren Buffett kind of money. He can't pay, so the king orders that his wife, his children, they be sold and to cover the debt. The servant pleads with, pleads with the king for mercy. He pleads with the king, and the king, in his, in his compassion, wipes out the debt, completely forgives the debt. But then this servant turns around and finds a fellow servant who owes him a, couple, a hundred denarii, thousands of dollars. Uh, it's not a small amount, but it's nothing compared to the 10,000 talents. And he begins to choke the second servant, saying, pay what you owe. And the second servant pleads for mercy as well, but the first servant refuses and throws that second servant into prison. Word gets back to the king, and he brings that first servant back and, and rebukes him and says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me for mercy. So shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant. And in his anger, the king turns over that servant to jailers until he will pay every last cent. In this parable, the king is God, 
and we are his servants, we owe God an impossible debt. And in Christ, that debt is forgiven. It's paid. It's wiped clean. And if you are in Christ, if you've received the forgiveness of all your debts, then you can't help but forgive other people. If your body is working correctly, when the knee is tapped, the leg swings up, if your faith is working, the faith, your faith in Christ is alive, if it's genuine, if it's real faith, then you can't help but extend forgiveness to other people. R.T. France just puts it succinctly this way. Only the forgiving will be forgiven. Only the forgiving will be forgiven. And that brings us to our third and final request in the Lord's Prayer, the second half of the Lord's Prayer. And that's a, that's a prayer for another spiritual need. So if you are in Christ, as we recall, you belong to Jesus. You're in union with Jesus. All the benefits of, of our salvation come to you because you belong to Jesus. In Him, we find all the benefits of our salvation. That means uh, if you are in Christ, the Father forgives all of your debt, the debt of your sin in the grace of justification. All your sins, past, present, future, wiped away. You are no longer guilty. If you are in Christ, the Father also extends to you the grace of sanctification by the Holy Spirit. That means over time, as you walk the Christian life, the Father slowly removes remaining sin. The corruption of sin is slowly, over time, cleaned away. And that's the prayer that we see in verse 13, that prayer of sanctification. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this word translated evil in the Greek uh, likely refers to the devil, the evil one. And that's the case, then this prayer here is, really nicely mirrors uh, Jesus' prayer in John 17, in the high priestly prayer. John 17, 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And this prayer of deliverance we see in the Lord's Prayer, this prayer that we be rescued from the evil one, from the devil, can be extended more broadly to all sources of evil. Because uh, Satan, he's the evil one. He is the one who has been sinning from the beginning. So any source of sin, any source of evil can ultimately be traced back to the, to the devil somehow. So even though we, as, as disciples, as those who are redeemed, were justified and forgiven in Christ, we know we still have indwelling sin. We still battle sin. We still battle temptation. The world still entices us. The flesh ensnares us, and the devil tempts us. Those are the three enemies of the Christian life, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we need God's help to take a stand and to be delivered against evil. This does raise the question, what, what does it mean here, right? Doesn't, doesn't the scripture say God doesn't tempt anyone, nor is he tempted by evil? It does say that. What, the, what this prayer refers to is, is the testing of our faith. In Matthew 4, as mentioned earlier, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. It was a testing of his faith. And we, the testing of our faith is, results in steadfastness and maturity, James chapter 1. So this, is, this prayer here is, is a prayer for our deliverance from the times of testing, from the times of testing that we might be brought safely through it. Last week we saw, in, as Jesus 
was looking to the cross as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed that, Father, your, your kingdom come, your will be done. And the Father answered Jesus' prayer, not by taking away the cup, not by taking away the cross, the path of suffering, but by sending an angel to strengthen him. That's, that's what we see in the Gospel of Luke. And in our time of testing, when we face trials and tribulations and temptation, the Father knows our need. And remember, he is eager to pour out our grace, to pour out, to pour out the grace that we need, to pour out those installments of grace that he has stored up for us. But remember, we have to ask. He doesn't give all the grace in one lump sum. He gives grace in installments that we might depend upon him, that we might be in relationship with, with him. That means we don't have quite often because we don't ask. So that means when we're facing testing, when we're facing temptation to our soul, we have to ask that the Father would provide that way of escape. We have to ask that we would be filled with the power of the Spirit that we might put sin to death and live to Christ. We have to ask that we would be given power from on high, that we might be upheld by our Master to take a stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's what the Lord called his disciples to do when he was in the garden right before going to the cross. He asked his disciples in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit, is in, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And you know the story. Sadly, all the disciples, every single one of them fell asleep. They fell asleep at the wheel. We don't know why they fell asleep. We can certainly speculate. Maybe they, maybe they had a little too much to eat at the Last Supper and they were just overcome by food coma. Or maybe they didn't pray perhaps because they were quietly confident that time, talent, and money were all that they needed, that they weren't relying upon the Father. I have to ask the question, what if? What if the disciples prayed that they wouldn't enter into temptation? Maybe they wouldn't have fallen. Perhaps they didn't have the strength to stand because they didn't ask. Perhaps they weren't relying upon the grace and mercy that the Father was ready to bestow upon them if only they had asked. That's the point William Perkins makes. If we escape temptation, it is of grace and mercy. If we stand in temptation and yield not to evil suggestion or be kept from the practice of sin, it is all of grace. And if we fall into sin and rise again by true repentance, that also is God's special grace. Therefore, we must learn to renounce all confidence in ourselves and to walk in all humility before God, relying wholly upon His grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. And Risen Hope Church, prayer is that expression of renouncing all confidence in ourselves and relying wholly upon the grace and mercy freely available in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all grace, whether we escape temptation, whether we stand up against it, whether we rise up after falling, it's all God's grace. So the question for us, church, is how desperate are we for that grace? Do we see ourselves as dependent? Or do we think that 
time, talent, and money are really all that we need. Sadly, in many ways, I think the church in the United States, we're like the church in Laodicea. We don't realize. We're, we're, we're confident. We th- we're self-sufficient, but we don't realize that we're wretched, poor, blind, and naked. So God, give us grace that, that we would see our state of sin and misery, our state of weakness in our own flesh, and that we would be moved as we see our weakness, our frailty, our sinfulness, our, the fact that we're prone to fall, and may that force us into the hands of the Father in desperation. We pray because we're dependent upon a Father who knows all of our needs, all the needs of His children. And we can pray with confidence, you know, as we wrap up here, we can pray with confidence when we know the end. And we know in the end that the Lord will rescue us from every evil, de- every, every evil deed and bring each of us safely home into His heavenly kingdom. That we will one day be rescued from the lion's mouth. That means in this life, there might be times we might hunger or thirst or suffer persecution for being believers. That means that our prayer for our daily bread will be fully and perfectly realized when we enter into the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we eat and drink and feast in the presence of the Lamb and the presence of all God's people. In this life, we might struggle with guilt. We might struggle with shame, struggle with assurance of our own salvation. And one day, that prayer that, you know, that all of our debts will be forgiven will be fully realized when we stand perfected before the throne, in the presence of God and the Lamb who was slaughtered for us. In this life, we might struggle with temptation. We might even fall to temptation. We might fall frequently. And so our prayer that we would be delivered from evil will be fully realized one day when all sources of evil are removed forever, when we enter into the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. So I think it's only fitting for us, church, that as we bring our time to a close, that, that we would just respond uh, praying together. So I want us, you know, in the remaining minutes that, that we have, we are over time. So in, uh, as we go a little bit into overtime here, um, that, that we just take a few minutes to pray. That we would pray uh, because we are dependent upon a father who knows the needs of his children. So let's just take a couple minutes here. Just find a couple people around you. Maybe it's two or three or four. Uh, pray. Take a few minutes to pray that the Lord would meet our physical needs. He would provide our daily bread. He would provide everything we need for this life. Let's pray that God would meet our spiritual needs, our need to be forgiven, our need to be delivered out of temptation. So let's just, let's just take just a few minutes here just to, just to pray together. So let's pray.